please take a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's a great honor to be here. Thank you. That was, that was terrific, Bob. And um, I wanted to say, it's, it's, uh, I should be listening to the people speaking here. Jack Hibbs is here. I watch Jack every Sunday. I'll say this multiple times throughout my remarks here. If we had 1,000 Jack Hibbs in America, we would be in a significantly better place. In fact, uh, not just significantly better. I mean, we would, be, we would be in a winning position. Jack, you're doing an amazing job. And every Sunday morning, there's Jack Hibbs, and the stamina that Jack has is, uh, is incredible. Paul Blair is here. He does a great job with Liberty Pastors. Great to catch up. And of course, Dr. Dobson, been following you for years, and Dr. Dobson comes up to me tonight. He says, you remember what I said last year? Do you guys remember? He said, and I've been taking that to heart, and uh, our baby girl is now one year and two months old, and that's still the most important marching orders I've received from Dr. Dobson. So thank you. It's, uh, it's awesome. So, a couple things I want to cover here, and there's, there's so much to discuss. So, it has been a bittersweet two weeks for me. First of all, as many of you know, I wrote a whole book where I really don't mince words uh, called The College Scam. You know, somebody asked earlier, they said, Charlie, what do you think about college? I said, honestly, not exactly a fan, um, and built kind of a whole career on that, which is interesting. I didn't go to college, and I speak on college campuses so other people don't have to go to these college campuses. But it's been bittersweet because I've been receiving a fair amount of emails and phone calls and text messages of people saying, Charlie, you were right. And I remember about a year and a half ago, there was a very heated event I had in Palm Beach with a group of secular Jews. Great people, conservative, but they don't obviously have our worldview. And I was presenting my book, The College Scam. And that is not a popular argument in, let's just say, wealthy Jewish society, right? I mean, one of the most important things that somebody in wealthy Jewish society has is I went to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, right? It's like one of the first things they'll say to you. And I was basically telling them, guys, hear me out, that these university campuses are not just fomenting anti-Americanism, anti-Western ideas, but outright Jew hatred. And what resulted could be best um, described as a very heated conversation. They just didn't believe me. They said, that's an exaggeration. You know, don't talk about my beloved Harvard that way. You know, Penn is still holding the line, right? Dartmouth is great and all that. And I said, guys, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be right. I don't do the I told you so thing. I'm not making this up, but one day we'll see who's right. And to their great credit, I've received lots of emails and text messages saying, Charlie, what do I do? And I responded to one of them. I said, look, you should have probably called me before you gave the $50 million to the University of Pennsylvania, right? Like once, you, once the wire is sent, your leverage goes down to almost nothing. Um, but if there's ever been, I mean, the massacre that happened in Israel is so diabolical and inexcusable, and the way the media has been covering it is so reprehensible and demonic, it is just beyond words. It wasn't an attack. It was an attempted genocide against the Jewish people and a massacre against Jews, and Israel has every right to respond and retaliate the way they have been. And the, the media is not covering it. They're talking about how Israel is oppressing God. The whole thing is so screwed up. And, but... If there's any positive that's coming out of this, we're seeing secular Jews start to wake up and they say, wait a second, maybe I've been subsidizing the modern day Jew-hating institution of today. And that's, that's, that's just one example of many that I want to highlight here. And it is really creating a reckoning with a lot of secular Jews where they are reconsidering everything. From every, I mean, I got a phone call from someone that literally said I was too radical on immigration three years ago 
where I think, I don't know, we shouldn't allow Muslims who hate America to come into the country, like, you know, not a radical belief. And, you know, people call me xenophobic. No, I'm a patriot for believing that, actually. I don't think our country's enriched by having Elon Omar come into the country. Sorry, I don't believe so. And this guy calls me and he says, Charlie, I thought you were a hater three years ago. Now I see what you were saying. So things are changing very quickly and eyes are opening. And it begs this question, first and foremost, of, and this, this applies to us Christians and believers especially, the secular Jews that are divesting their money and they're saying, wow, we've been funding institutions that hate us. I challenge you tonight to also identify what institutions you're currently supporting that hate you before you have to say, I wish I would have done it sooner. The type of regret that the American Jewish community is going through right now is real and it's a reckoning that is honestly healthy. At George Washington University, just one example of hundreds I could give you, a library endowed by a Jewish family had glory to the martyrs broadcast on the side of a, of a Jewish library. And it's creating this mass divestment and this mass kind of recession away from it. But understand that we as Christians are also sending our kids, our grandkids, our money, our ties, and sometimes even our offerings to institutions that will then knife us in the back at some point. And I'm talking about even Christian colleges, Christian charities, and sometimes, yes, even the local church. And I highlight Jack Hibbs as the pastor who speaks boldly and courageous, but you guys didn't have me here tonight to do happy talk, right? Let's be honest. The vast majority of American churches in the country right now are silent and complicit with a diabolical Marxist agenda that is eating the West alive. And the American church, if it remains as silent as it has been, then not only will America fall, but the church will fall alongside of it. So let's focus on the Israel issue just, and I'll kind of build this out. You know, I got in this, a pastor called me the other day, they said, Charlie, you know, the way we talk about the Israel issue has to change and we have to win over young people of Israel. Don't they know that you know, Israel is the only country in the Middle East that allows gay pride parades. And like, time out. Like that, that's, that's like the worst way to actually win people over for Israel. Let me be very clear. If you think you're gonna win over young people on like a race to who can be the most degenerately liberal, like you've already lost the debate. You know, you see these people marching on campus, you know, queers for Palestine, which is, you know, as, as funny as like geese for Fuegua. And um, which is like, it, it's, it's so like, you know, cognitively dissonant. They don't even understand. So yeah, please murder me, honestly, is the way they look at it. But they, they're not opposing Israel because of their stance on gay marriage or whatever. They hate Israel for the same reason that they hate America and they hate the West. They hate a country with borders that is sovereign, a country that has the rule of law, a country that has succeeded. Because at the root of leftism in America, at the root of what we see that is destroying the country from within, are people that complain more than they produce. If I had to divide the right and the left in the country, if you are on the American right, you produce more than you complain. If you're on the left, you complain more than you produce. And they hate Israel because they turned a desert into a garden. They hate Israel because they turned what otherwise was not a flourishing economy into the richest country in the entire Middle East outside of the oil empires. They hate that. And they say, well, Gaza's really poor. Why do you think Gaza is poor? It's not because they're oppressed, it's because of their value system that they are poor. It's because they don't empower their people, they don't have private property rights, they don't have a free market economy. 
And so the way that you win anybody over for Israel or for the West or by be it is not by watering it down and saying, you know, Israel's really great because, you know, they allow gay pride flags. I mean, like there was this ridiculous article that came out today, like meet all the gay soldiers in the Israeli army. I'm like, yeah, that, you're losing me. I'll be honest. Like that's, that's not exactly why I support Israel, right? You support Israel because they're willing to say we're a Jewish country and we don't want foreigners to come in and to destroy the identity of Israel. We have borders. I have Israel envy. I wish we had a border in America, right? Like I wish we could defend our border with tanks. I wish we could say that 8 million people that have illegally come into our country recently could be deported to go back where they came from. Like what a concept, right? And the, the Israel issue is in real time breaking the back of the American Democrat Party, the American woke regime. Biden's points are down 11, 11 points because they've always had this kind of forced fusion coalition of the Wokies and the donors that are together because they hate the American right and it's kind of this forced marriage. And it's getting ex exposed and revealed in real time. But understand that the American left never actually would stand with Israel, the same reason they don't actually stand with America. Because the diabolical agenda behind the American left is exactly the same. That a nation founded on biblical principles is inconsistent with the American left. Only Israel and only America were founded on a charter that believed that the Bible was the inerrant word of God. Now, understand, let's go a level, how refreshing is it, by the way, to have a Speaker of the House who says that his worldview is biblical, right? I mean, how refreshing is that? And, you know, he's on the Hannity interview, and I, I, I'll be honest, I'm so programmed to be let down. You're probably the same, right? I'm like, here, here, here it comes, here comes the retreat. Right, here comes the disavow, and I'm like, I've seen this play before, ready, set, go. And so Sean Hannity asked the question, right? He says, so people say that you're a Christian, what would you say? And I said, oh boy, he's going to cut corners and be like, you know, all love is love and all this nonsense, whatever, you know, John Piper, you know, Rick Warren says. Um, you know, oh, we're not allowed to say that? Okay. Jesus was a socialist. Okay, Andy Stanley. Um, yeah, let's have homosexuals speak at my church. I'm a pastor. No, you're not. You're a heretic. You should be thrown out of the American church. So we'll get to that in a second. So refreshing to have a speaker of the house that says, on the hand of the interview, says, no, actually, you pick up a Bible. That's my worldview. Whoa, mind blown. Like, I had to re-listen to it like four or five times this morning. I was like, wait a what am I living through exactly? Like the guy that's two heartbeats away from the American presidency? that says you pick up the word of God, that's my worldview, he's gonna let us down on some stuff, he'll cut deals and all that. That alone is such a major victory, like the demons have been howling all day, they can't believe it. They can't believe it. That, that the sword that God gives us to fight these unclean spirits, that he says, yeah, that's my worldview, and I'm not gonna apologize for it. And what, I, I, could go, I could go infinitely deep of why I love the whole thing with Speaker Johnson. He didn't plot or plan. He didn't like do favors and inside deals. He didn't have some sort of scheme to become Speaker. He was just a faithfully married Christian man who woke up one day and all these corrupt cockroaches like were axing each other. Like, how about the guy from Louisiana that reads the Bible? He's always been nice to me. And he's like, me? And you, by the way, I love it. He's so unprepared. He's the most unprepared speaker of the house in the history of American politics. I love it, by the way. I love how clumsy his answers are. 
right? I love that he doesn't have like poll tested stuff. I love how nobody can buy him off. Like they're freaking out. Like who, what's the lobbyist that controls him? Hey, newsflash, no one who knew who Mike Johnson was. Like people are Googling him in the midst of the speaker vote. Is that like the smooth talking guy that gave me cookies and said Jesus loves you? I like that guy, he's always been so nice to me. Um, which by the way is like a broader message for, you know, what, what a great testament to Christianity that in a student council-esque type speakers race, that he lived out the gospel so beautifully that no one had a negative word to say about him personally. That's a great testament to Mike Johnson and what the gospel can do. That is a beautiful thing. By your fruit, you shall know them, right? So, by the way, it's not even, it, it got down to it. You know, I was texting with all these different people. I was texting with, you know, Matt Gates and texting with Dan Crenshaw, like totally opposite different things. And it, it literally got down to personality, right? I don't like this person. They said a bad name and all this. And Mike Johnson was like, oh, you know, actually he's really kind and compassionate and long-suffering, and he embodies the fruits of the Spirit. So anyway, so he, they're attacking him like crazy right now. So one, one, and by the way, I love it. The media comes out, you know, look at this Christian nationalist, this whole thing, and I just wanna say, if there's ever been a time where we need to wake up, dust off whatever battle wounds we have and play offense, it's the next 48 hours, and we've been doing it like crazy at Turning Point USA and on our show, because they're gonna to try to define what, quote unquote, a Christian in leadership means. So they're saying, he has a biblical worldview. What a great opportunity for us to say, you know what a biblical worldview is? Genesis 1-1, Bereshit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a God and we are not him. Genesis 1-26 and 27, we are made in the image of a creator. We are not an accident of millions of years of Darwinian evolution, that you're made with a purpose, with a soul, and you have a date with eternity, a God who loves you. Exodus 20, that there's a moral code that transcends your feelings of how to live and act. Remember, I'm the Lord your God that delivered you from Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make craven images. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall work and for one day you shall rest. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land of which you are in. A biblical worldview also says Leviticus 19.15. You shall not favor a rich man or a poor man in a legal proceeding. No social justice, no environmental justice, no racial justice. Justice is blind. Go two verses later. Jesus said this is one of the verses that all the laws of the prophets hangs on. Leviticus 19.17, love your neighbor as yourself. When Mike Johnson says he has a biblical worldview, he believes in, of course, John 3.16, that God loved us so much he sent his son on a rescue mission to save us from our sinful nature so that we may live forever. What is a biblical worldview? Galatians 3.28, never slave nor Greek nor Jew. We are all one in Christ Jesus. None of the CRT nonsense, black versus white. No, no, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now's the chance to tell the world what a biblical worldview is as loudly and clearly as possible. Unapologetically, the door and the window has been opened and God has just selected somebody that no one would have thought. It was on nobody's bingo card, okay? Like they have all these like betting markets, like is it gonna be Tom Emmer? Like nobody had Mike Johnson. And what, those of us that believe in a biblical worldview, we also must remind the world it's not fringe, it's not radical, it's not scary. That biblical worldview is what built the entire civilization that you are in right now. What they smear as a Christian nationalist is the ideas of Washington and Adams and Franklin and the entire founding generation of this country. And I think we're being given this amazing opportunity to articulate the basis and the eternal foundation of the nation that we are in. But who has to do that? The church should be doing this. Every pastor in America should be giving that sermon this Sunday. Hey congregation, guess what? You have a speaker of the house with a biblical worldview. 
What percentage of Christian pastors do you think will do that this Sunday? Jack, I know you will. I'll be watching. I would say less than 5%, 10%. What percentage of American churches outwardly celebrated the reversal of Roe versus Wade? 7% celebrated. The vast majority did not mention it or whisper it from the stage. I was asked recently, they said, Charlie, when is God going to do a miracle in America? I said, well, first of all, the reversal of Roe versus Wade was and is a miracle in America. Most churches didn't even say thank you. They say thank you. I was told for years that Roe versus Wade will never be repealed, never be overturned. Happened in our lifetime, and most churches said, I, I don't want to lose my tithes and offerings. You know, temp, my elder board might send me a bad email. And this is where I'm going to get into the place where I might offend some of you. And honestly, great, because time's running out, as Jack would say. Time is running out. The American church needs to strengthen, and we will strengthen the American church, not necessarily by winning over people in the world, but by purging the elements that have been weighing us down over the last couple decades. The American church has been infected no different than the FBI, than Google or the American University from false teaching and happy talk Christianity that comes in with pastors that quite honestly are not rooted in scripture, but rooted in feelings and strange secular left-wing type, you know, one-liners. And I say, Charlie, how do I identify it? Very simple. Does your pastor have a larger wardrobe budget or book budget? First interesting like question, right? Does your church feel more like a TED talk with a rock concert? or directly given scripture from the word of God challenging you? How often does your pastor mention sin? If you don't hear what sin is, how do you know what grace is? If you don't hear about judgment, how do you know what redemption is? So we need to strengthen the church. And one of the ways that we are going to do that, obviously, is by talking about not just making converts, but making disciples of all nations, as Jesus said. Discipleship goes deep. Discipleship means you have to talk about the book of Leviticus. I know that's really scary for a lot of, you know, our wonderful pastors out there, the Wokies. And the other part that I think is such an amazing opportunity, and I think it's being missed quite honestly right now, is that there is a crisis of masculinity in the American church. In a way that I've, I mean, and you know who's capitalizing on it? Muslims and secular social media influencers are capitalizing on your young Christian men. Andrew Tate is probably followed by more young men in your church than major leading Christians. And if we're very honest with ourselves, the average American pastor is indistinguishable both physically and linguistically from a metrosexual woman in San Francisco. How about we have pastors that stop dressing like women? Like, let's just start there. Like, wear a suit and tie once. Stop with these, like, baggy pants and wearing makeup and, like, you know, like, I'm going to kind of fit in with the world. You know who I'm talking about? The cool kid pastors. Like, Carl Lentz. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to win over people by opening up my shirt and all that. It's like, actually, you're doing destruction to the kingdom of God when you try to pander in that way. You know what young men want? They want the truth plainly spoken and challenging them to adventure, as it says in Genesis 12. They don't want to be pandered. They don't want a feminine-type gospel. And if the American church fails this test, which we are failing currently, there will be no church left. And you have to both purge the elements and lift up the new generation. Because here's the thing. Young ladies are leaving the church because they tell me, they say, Charlie, where have all the men gone? They are grown infant boys with no direction, no purpose, no clarity. And quite honestly, we have to talk what is 
What is a biblical man? I mean, you could talk about Elijah, that's rather radical. Or John the Baptist, who got mistaken as Elijah, haunted, told the truth. I mean, Elijah did some other stuff too, you know, slitting the throats of pagan elders. Don't recommend it, but that's a separate issue. But um, I, said I, don't, I said I don't recommend it. So, but here's, the, here's more than anything else. They are lost in a sea of confusion, of half-truths, total lies, and a culture that is rigged against them. I was asked, Charlie, why is the American church's you know, population, you know, why is church attendance down 30%? Because it's down 30% over the last, you know, it's not Jack's church, they have a parking problem there. But honestly, it's because, it's a lot of reasons, but the one that drives me the craziest is that American men have allowed the masculine energy that built the church. I'm not saying women don't have a role, but they have become subservient and weak versions of their former selves. And I'll prove it to you. How many times do you hear even a male pastor talk more about feelings and emotion than hard truth? When I go to a college campus, or when Candace Owens goes to Turning Point USA, we have a major problem. We can't find rooms big enough to fit all the students that want to attend our speeches at Turning Point USA. We just had Dr. Carson at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Place is more liberal than Stalingrad. He packed out an event for us. Why do they want to come to the Turning Point USA? Give it, they did a great job, by the way. Did a great job. I, I, I don't know how I'm doing on time, so I'm just going to somewhat. I'll do a pastor's close, but two and a half hours. It's just, it's, it's. Why, 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 what, what is about our message that is so attractive? Yes, we're talking about Jesus, but honestly, they have heard nothing but watered down political correct garbage at every turn. And they want to hear and come see a speaker say, men can't give birth. <laughs> that Dylan Mulvaney is a narcissistic fraud who should be exiled from public life. That it's wrong that the Biden regime says that men can chest feed. Like, that's wrong, it's sick, and then it's evil. What, what they're, it's the Galatians 3 model. They want to start drinking from the streams of liberty that brings them to Christ. I see it happening right now on these campuses. And so it's kind of this strange two universes. You know, it's, it's a tra it, it, this is a tragedy. I don't say this lightly. You know, Brian Broderson runs the whole Calvary Chapel thing. He had to sell that college, right, Jack? It was a beautiful college. And he's like, oh, this is just happening to all, you know, churches. No, it's not, actually. The churches that are strong and courageous are growing and multiplying during this season. You want to get church attendance to go up? Start to stand for something. And how about you read the word of God to your congregation and preach it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And if an elder gets angry, tell them to resign or I will resign. If people say, you know, I don't really like the way that you're running this church, well, then maybe you don't like what the Word of God says. And I'm telling you as clearly as I possibly can, if this does not happen and the, strength, and the church is not strengthened, then Satan will rejoice. And that's my final thing that I'll say with this. We'll do some, I think we're doing some questions, right, Bob, at some point, right? Um, I was asked a really beautiful question earlier. They said, Charlie, um, this is just kind of more broadly, they said, Charlie, what do we do about all the Christians um, that are despairing. And I, I truly, it doesn't say this explicitly, but it is, basic, it is effectively one of the lessons of the books of Numbers, the book of Numbers. Um, you know why it's Numbers? Numbers of complaints of the Jews, right? By the way, 
here, you know the Bible's true, most unimpressive group of people ever being chosen, like only God could choose them, right? They complain all the time, they lie, they steal, they cheat, they want melons and leeks and cucumbers and meat, bring us back to slavery. The most unimpressive group of people in the history of ancient civilization, 100% a God thing. And by the way, no one would talk so self-deprecating of themselves. And then we lied and then we sent spies and we didn't believe them and then we said, get rid of this Moses guy. We know that God chose him, but we don't. Like, wow, that is ridiculously honest. That's how I know it's true. Um, in the book of Numbers, it's a repeated theme. And a Christian theologian, very famous from 100 years ago said, one of the lessons of the, group, the, the book of Numbers is to despair is a sin. I think that is an unbelievably powerful message for today. The attitude that I receive most from Christians is an attitude of despair. And that's a big problem. It should be the opposite. It should be an attitude of joy and hope and optimism. We know how the story ends. How blessed are we to live through all of this to increase the population of heaven as things are completely falling apart, to be salt and light, to occupy till he comes. But we are allowing far too often, and I'm victim of it, an attitude of, boy, it all just feels as if it's fallen apart. That is the, we have to understand, I believe firmly that that is an act of defiance against the Lord. In fact, our attitude must be one of hope, and our actions must also be one of hope. And that, that should also be consistent with the, the organizations we support and the action items that we have. Somebody asked, they said, Charlie, what are the action items? I'll, I'll end with how I close. Stop supporting institutions that hate you. That includes the colleges you send your kids and grandkids to. You said, Charlie, what are some good colleges? There's very few. Happy to send you a list. It's like five. <laughs> the rest are awful. But more than anything else, be an active participant to support the truth tellers, to support the people speaking courage, to hold the institutions that are wobbly accountable, and to say, I will not use my treasure, I will not use my money, I will not use my energy, as we are running out of time to align with something that is directly against my values. Look at the results and the fruit that they are producing. And as I've had an opportunity to travel the country and to see and to meet with a lot of different pastors and see this kind of unfolding in real time, I am so convinced more than ever that we could have a revival in this country. We could have a political realignment in this country. It would just require the American church to act in the same way that the American founding generation church did. It's that simple. It's an attitude shift. But the question is then why? Because many of you are probably here tonight and you're saying, Charlie, you know, are you optimistic or pessimistic? I'm ultimately optimistic, obviously. Jesus wins in the end. And we get to go to heaven. That's awesome. But if I answer the question as optimistic, you'd go home and say, I don't, you know, I don't have to do anything. Charlie thinks we're going to win. If I said I was pessimistic, you'd go home and say, I don't have to do anything because Charlie thinks we're going to lose. The answer is, we have to fight. We have to fight. And we don't fight because we want to see an outcome. We fight out of obedience to God. We fight because we ought to fight, because he told us to. Now, some of you are probably saying, Charlie, I've done everything that's been asked of me. Everything that you've told me to do. I'm a precinct committee man. I tithe to my church. I only donate to good organizations. I bought the pillow. I've done everything that has been asked of me. By the way, promo code Kirk at MyPillow.com, just, just, just so we're clear. Bought Relief Factor, reverse mortgage my home. I have that thing that goes up the stairs. I bought a lot of gold. Charlie, I've done everything that's been asked me. Got it. Great. You can always do more. Stop being a spectator if you are. Be an active participant. 
We need you guys so badly on the front lines right now. To despair is a sin. If you believe your action, your finances, your tithe, your prayer means nothing, you are giving terrain to the enemy. If you believe what you do does not matter, and the prayer should not be, in my personal opinion, God solve this for us, it should be God use me in any way I can to solve this to your glory. With that, let's do some questions. Thank you guys. Thank you, Charlie. The first question is from Dr. James Dobson. Charlie leaves in 20 minutes, so if you have a question, be ready to go right immediately afterwards. And Dr. Dobson. Only one question. Only one. It's not a question, it's a statement. Charlie, I am so blinking proud of you. Thank you. I am so thankful that you have the guts to stand up there and say what nobody else will say. And we'll be behind you 100%. And I thank God that he's blessing you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.